I wonder this morning if we could just start this service out with just standing up and giving God some praise this morning. Could we do that? Father, you're worthy and you're wonderful, Lord. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be in your presence. Lord, you're wonderful. God, we give you all glory and honor this morning. Lord, allow your presence to come into this place and just sweep over us, God. We thank you, Jesus. You're wonderful. You're wonderful, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You may be seated. Read a little bit to you. On his 20th birthday, Tom Marshall was drafted into the U.S. Army. He trained for eight weeks and was sent to England to train for eight more months. He saw his first combat during the invasion of northern France, better known as D-Day. He and his battalion landed on the beaches and worked their way through France. Later following General Patton, they crossed through Belgium, Holland, and Germany. At the end of World War II, Tom watched as displaced families struggled to find food and shelter. He recalled Paul's words describing the Macedonian call. Come over and help us. From that moment on, Tom was never the same. Tom returned home, met and married Leela, who had lost her first husband in the war. They started a family, and after a few years, the weight of God's call was heavy upon him. He and Leela, in response to a call for help, left a good job and sold all they had to go pastor. After his experiences in the war, Tom understood the importance of having a place to gather and worship, a place of safety and unity. People needed a church. Tom and Leela pastored over 40 years in five states, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and South Carolina. He built five churches, two parsonages, one large educational building, and completed one church building that another minister started. To God be the glory, Tom and Leela Marshall, 2002. They discovered people were willing to work and sacrifice alongside them to have a place that was dedicated to God's ministry. Amen. Our focus thought today in our teaching is we must make the house of God a priority in our lives. How many agree with that this morning? Amen. I want to share a little something with you before I get into um, our lesson today. There's a history that shows back in the 1500s. This young man saved the king of Scotland. He, sa he saved his life. Don't recall how he saved his life, but he did and because the king of Scotland was so grateful that this man saved his life, the king of Scotland gave him a castle. 
It was called the Fordyke Castle. Now, because this man was so grateful that the King of Scotland gave him a castle, this man built the first Protestant cathedral in Scotland. The first Protestant cathedral in Scotland. This man gave freely to the building of the temple of God. And this story is a true story because this man was my great ancestor. My cousin did a, a uh, what do you call that? Uh, family history thing and found out that the Bible is true. I am royalty. I thought I would just add that today because he made the house of God a priority in his life. Brother and sister Marshall made the house of God a priority in their lives. And I believe this morning that we need to get a mindset to make the house of God a priority in our lives. Going to be reading from 2 Chronicles um, chapter 24. You don't have to stand. There's a lot of verses here. Starting with verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zeb. Zibia of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Joah, I'll get these names right. And Jehoiada took him two wives, and he begat sons and daughters. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. He gathered together the priests and the Levites, and he said to them, Go out unto the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year. And see that ye hasten the matter, howbeit the Levites hasten it not. And the king called for Jehoda, the chief, and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection? According to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of God. And also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord that they bestow upon Balaam. And at the king's commandment they made a chest. And set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought into the king's office by the hands of the Levite. And when they saw that there was much money. The king's scribe and the high priest officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to its place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. Our focus verse this morning is on verse 10 and 11. 
And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they made an end. Now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought into the king's office by the hand of the Levites. And when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribe and the high priest officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. Praise God. <clears throat> Another little story. Near the beginning of the Ming Dynasty, Emperor Zhu Di of China was revered as a living God. Oh, he only lived from A.D. 1360 to 1424. He was responsible for consolidating rule over China. Pushing out Mongol invaders, extending the Great Wall, and commissioning the largest naval armada in the world history until World War II. However, his greatest achievement was arguably the building of the Forbidden City in Beijing. When the Forbidden City was commissioned in A.D. 1407, it took over one million convicted criminals and conscripted slave laborers 10 years to gather the proper materials for the project. It took another 100,000 skilled craftsmen to finish the fine details of the city. No expense was spared for the residents of the palace in the Forbidden City, and the rule of the emperor was absolute. But unlike the Forbidden City and its palace, the restoration of the Temple of God in Jerusalem was not a project forced or built by forced labor or authorization rule. The temple was restored by free and cheerful giving of the faithful. Kind of like Solomon. When Solomon built the temple, Solomon went and he got out all the finest things he could find. He, I mean, all the finest things. He even went into um, Lebanon to get the, the cedar because it was the finest wood so that he could build this temple to God. Now, David, Solomon's dad, wanted to build the temple, but God told him no. Solomon was going to do it. And Solomon spared no expense. But Solomon didn't use slave labor. It was freely given. Freely given. The collection taken to restore the temple was a ransom that had originally required by Moses. Anyone who chose to not partake in the ransom of Judah would not be counted among them in the census. Therefore, it was a choice to serve the Lord and contribute to the restoration of his house. During the reign of Joash, the kingdom of Judah would have been aware of growing foreign threats. Yet they decided to put their faith in the Lord and his ability to save. Though under the direction of the king, excuse me. The temple was restored because of the collective desire of the people to honor the Lord. The people of Judah were not given to a fruitless cause, but they were paying a ransom required by the law of Moses. They were giving for the restoration of the temple of God. The temple had been left in disorder and decayed by the three rules prior to Joash. However, Joash's mentor was Jehadi, Jehadi, Forgive me. The priest, the man of God. It was the people's willingness to be obedient 
to the text of Moses and the righteousness pursued by Joash and Jehoda that led to the restoration of the temple of God. But before I go any further, I want you to know this morning that I'm not teaching about tithes and I'm not teaching about having to give to the church. This morning, it's got something to do with a willingness to want to see the church grow, a willingness to do a sacrificial offering, a willingness to give of yourself for the kingdom of God. Because we can get rewards down here. We can get all kinds of rewards down here, but they're never going to amount to the rewards that we're going to see on the other side of glory. Never, we cannot outgive God. We cannot. And, and most of the time, people want to talk about the money aspect of it. I'm telling you, it's more than the money aspect of it. It's got to do with the physical aspect of it as well. Amen. A life of faithfulness cannot be achieved without a lifestyle of sacrifice. Sometimes we, we, we relish in the things that, that, that we, we, I've got to do this. I've, I've, I've got to get this house done. I've, I've, I've got to get this car fixed. I've, we think on these things. And sometimes there's this little, little voice in the back of our head going, you need to call this person. You, 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 I need you to witness to this person. I need you to write this down because I've got it for somebody. The pastor needs your help. A saint in the church needs, needs your prayers. And that little small voice that says, I need you to pray right now. And sometimes, sometimes, we fail to stop what we're doing and do what that little boy says. Because if you're like me, you're like, man, that's in my head. Because you know, my head talks to me all the time. Uh, and I'm not crazy by no means, but you know, it's, it goes 180,000 miles a second. Because of things that I have to do, it tries to keep me so busy, I don't have time for nothing else. And you know, when we get that busy, we never get nothing accomplished. We're constantly spinning our wheels. We're here, we're there, we're over here, we're back here, we're over there. And we look around at the end of the day and we're like, what did I do? But when you give to the house of God, when you give to the temple of God sacrificially and you step back and you look at what you've done, you don't have to say a word because God's up there and he's going, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's exactly what I needed We need to understand that what we do for God, we need to do it willingly. Because yeah. if we're doing it with a hard heart, if we're doing it out of obligation, 
Man, that word bothers me so bad. Obligation. I'm obligated to go to church. I'm obligated to get on my knees. I'm obligated to... You know, when you feel obligated to, to the things of God, this is how you pray. Thank you, Lord. I'm okay. I'm, I appreciate being here. I'm, when you're obligated to give, you're like, all right. There's no heart in it. There's no heart. We got to get past obligations when it comes to God. Amen. If you think about it, God freely gave. He didn't hold nothing back. Not a thing. And we as children of God, we, we, as, we as, as Christians, as saints of God, we need to be that same. We need to give unconditionally. We need to give freely. Not out of obligation. Since the New Testament was established, the house of God is no longer a building of brick and stone. But we as believers are his temple. Did you get that church? We as believers are his temple. When Paul admonished the church in Corinth that their bodies were the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, what? Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. In Joash's day, Joash had them, the, the priests and everybody set that box outside the temple. And, and Joash didn't go out and command everybody to bring in. Didn't go out and command everybody to, to give. He said that box outside the temple. And the people came by and they gave freely. And they gave enough that he was able to rebuild the temple. I mean, more in abundance. God wants that from us. Our bodies is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So... In that aspect, we have to be careful what we take in. Because what we take in is what we're going to give out. Does that make sense, church? When they put all the funds in that box, they took the funds out of that box and built an immaculate temple for God. What we put in this temple is what we're going to take out of it. You understand what I'm saying? When we sacrifice this, then God builds this. And this is where it's at. We have a commission. It's how we choose to live it. It's how we choose to be it. It's, it's how we choose to sacrifice for it. I hope I'm making sense. Joash was the youngest king of Judah to ascend to the throne. In many ways, having a child on the throne was a rest, was a reset of the monarchy of Judah needed. Before the reign of Joash, the succession of kings from the line of Judah had been David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abiah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, then 
Athalia, the mother of Ahaziah. Among these, Rehoboam, Jehoram, Ahaziah, and Athalia had been unrighteous rulers because of their idol worship and self-reliance. Unrighteous rulers because of idol worshipers and self-reliance. That's one thing that we really need to be careful of, church. Because when great things happen to us and we take credit for it, we need to sit back and remember that it was God. Because I had a conversation with a fellow at one time and I told him straight up, nothing happens by chance. There's no such thing as luck. And the skill that you have was freely given by God. The, 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 the education that you possess up here to do different things was freely given by God. The ability to work with your hands and work with your mind was freely given by God. The ability to put one foot in front of the other was freely given by God. The ability to see things that has not yet seen, that has not yet been built, but the ability to see them, to build them, was freely given by God. There is nothing that we have that has not been given by God. The only reason why the doctors know what they know is because of the education they have. That education that they got they would not have if it had not been for God. Now I could go totally off on this one, but I'm not going to. I'm going to try and stay the task. But I believe that, that God gives certain people different things because us as people see more at people than we do see things that's not there, if that makes sense. It's easy for us to believe in a doctor. I'm talking about the world now. It's easy for them to believe in a doctor than it is for them to believe in God. I believe God uses doctors. But the ultimate thing is at the end of the day, it was God that done it. Doesn't matter what it is. At the end of the day, it was God that done it. When you complete your task, it was because God allowed it. Where was I? <laughs> Rulers such as Abiah, meaning the father is Yahweh, Asa and Jehoshaphat were righteous. Then Jehoshaphat was counted to be righteous his decisions to ally, to ally with Ahab, who was wicked, set up a series of tragic circumstances that ultimately, ultimately led to a seven-year-old king, 1 Chronicles 17 and 3. Jehoshaphat allied himself to the house of Ahab through marriage. Um, you can find that in 1 Kings 22, 43 and 44, 2 Chronicles 18 and 1. Excuse me. Though Jehoshaphat trusted in God as his father and grandfather had done, 
His son Jehoram was raised under influences of the house of Ahab and the kingdom of Israel. Little information is given to us in scripture about Jehoram's mother, but his wife, Athaliah, was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Joash did what was right in God's eyes. When Joash was made king over Israel, he knew nothing of governance. He was only a child. However, his mentor Jehoiada, the priest, <clears throat> however, his mentor was Jehoiada, the priest. Joash was adopted by Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth. Jehoiada was instrumental in to restoring the monarchy of Judah to a path of righteousness. He taught Joash to prioritize the law of Moses. Joash's mother was also not from the house of Ahab of Israel, but from Beersheba of Judah. When Joash was a child, he was surrounded by godly influences who directed him to seek after and prioritize the Lord. Joash was brought up in an environment of righteousness. Got to go off on that too. <laughs> Somebody told me a long time ago to surround yourself with influences that's going to better yourself. If you want to be rich, surround yourself with rich people. And so forth. But I find that when I surround myself with godly people, there is a whole different air. There's a whole different realm there than when you surround. Look, I've been in the world and I've, I've, I've got worldly friends. And, and, and we go and see them. I go and see them. But it's different when I get around children of God, when I get around people of like faith. It's a whole lot different. There's a whole different air about it. And we need to, as children of God, to surround ourselves with godly influences. Amen. Where was I? Joash was brought up in an environment of righteousness. When Jehoiada was alive, Joash was a righteous king. It is important to surround ourselves with mentors who, mentors who will encourage us to pursue righteousness. We can follow their example. No matter our age or background, we are always able to draw near to God and repentance to pursue righteousness. We must choose to do what is right, no matter our heritage. Athalia went on to raise her son, Ahazi, to value the unrighteousness of the northern kingdom of Israel over the righteous principles of his great-grandfather five times over David. Ain't that something? When Ahaziah was killed by Jehu, the son of Nimshi, Athaliah ruled over Israel as Judah's first and only matriarch queen. During her reign, she killed all the royal heirs of Judah. You can find that in 2 Chronicles 22 and 10. With the exception of Joash, the royal coup that had begun with the marriage ended in murder and sin. Joash, a baby, was saved by Jehoshabeth, daughter of King Jehoram and wife of Jehodia, the priest. She did Joash, or she hid Joash and his nurse in a bedchamber. 
He was hidden in the temple until he reached seven years of age. Jehodiah was a strong influence on Joash, but he was not controlling the monarchy as a priest. In 2 Chronicles 24, 4 through 6, after Joash ordered the Levites to go about repairing the house of God, the Levites did not listen. Jehoiada was the chief priest, and Joash held him responsible for the inaction of the Levites. In 2 Chronicles 24 and 7, Joash re- re- referenced how Athaliah had purposed the temple for the idols associated with the Bethlehem of Pantheon of Baal. Listen, Jesus. It is difficult to imagine the chief priest being content with the temple temple in a state of disarray when he had the ability to make a change with the support of the monarchy. Joash made sure the temple was repaired by reinstituting the collection Moses required of Israel for the building of the original tabernacle during the time of the Exodus. Joash sought to restore the temple of the Lord. Second Chronicles 24 and 4 says Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. In the New King James Version, it reads, Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. The focus of this verse shows that prioritizing God is an issue of the heart. It would have been easy for Joash to maintain the status quo the previous three rulers before him had set. However, Joash did not let his heart go away from serving God while Jehodiah was alive. Second Chronicles 24 and 5, it says, that, And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather all of Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year, and see that ye hasten the matter. Howbeit the Levites hasten it not. When the house of God was in disrepair, Joash made its repair a priority. Got to stop for a minute. I just wonder if I can be real for a minute. I just wonder how many times we have sat back and said, God, if there's anything inside of me that's not supposed to be there, Show me, and then show me how to remove it. You know, sometimes we um, we get so busy that we don't take time to um, look inside our temple. We don't take time to find out what's broken. We, uh, you know, sometimes we we um, we pray, God, I need a blessing, God. I need a healing, God. I need God. I need God. I need. And not saying nothing for nothing, but sometimes we need to sit back and say, Lord, is there something in me? Is there something broken in this temple? Is there something out of place in my temple? Is there something that I need to do to strengthen my foundation of this temple. And if there is, God, show me 
so that it can be done. Because we are all. There is not a one of us sitting on these pews today that's just here to look good. We're all in this for the same thing, and that's to make it to heaven. Because we believe that there's a home on the other side that after this life is over, there's a whole new one beginning. We believe that these mortal bodies, at the end of it all, is going to be changed. We're all going to be new creatures in Christ. This is not going to stay the same. But in the meantime, why we're here, and this is what God has given us. Don't we think that we need to prioritize this before we prioritize that? How do we do that, Brother Marsh? Well, we can start by when we wake up in the morning, giving it to God. Thank you for another day, Lord. Lord, I want my day to be prosperous. I want my day to be about you. I want people to see God in me. I want folks to know that I'm yours. Help me to be that person. If there's somebody that needs witness to today, Lord, let me be that person. And, and without realizing it, these morning prayers, these, these morning devotionals that we're giving to God, these are self-sacrifices. You know, I'm just going to go off my notes here just for a few minutes. The Bible says to um, give God 10% of your increase. No, I'm not preaching about tithing or teaching about tithing. But the Bible does say give unto God 10% of your increase. And I got to thinking one time when I started writing stuff down. Your increase, when you wake up in the morning... God has given you 24 hours. So out of that 24 hours, 10% of your increase, He's given you another day. 10% of that increase is 2.4 hours. That belongs to God. Amen? If you, if you want to get deep into it and you want to break it down, 2.4 hours of that belongs to God. And some people go, whoa. I don't know if I can handle that. My goodness, it's only 2.4 hours. I could waste two hours just walking down the street. But it doesn't have to be all at once. It's throughout the day. I mean, we can get real technical about this, this uh, 10% of your increase. We can break it down that there's 66 books in the Bible. We can break it down that every day 6.6 chapters belongs to God. Um, we can go on and on and on and on and on. But it's about sacrificing us so that we can rebuild this temple. Every day. Paul said, I die daily. I believe Paul was saying, I rebuild this temple daily. And we need to consider that, church. We, listen, God has something for us. And this thing's wrapping up. This world's wrapping up. 
I don't want to spend what time I have left praising and worshiping and thinking I've made it and thinking I've got it together and thinking when I get there, everything's going to be cool to get there and him look at me and say, I know ye not. Depart from me. That is my biggest fear, Brother J.R. My biggest fear. So the thing to keep away from it, the thing is to rebuild the temple. To freely sacrifice. He deserves that. He deserves more than that. When Joash set the box outside the temple, this was a seven-year-old. And he says, put the box out there. He tells Jehoiakim, tell him to put the box out there and let him freely give. Whatever they give, we're going to put into the temple. We need to consider what it is we're willing to give. I preached the message one time. It's not what you got. It's what you're willing to give. Because I promise you, we cannot outgive God. The more you give, the more he's giving back. Again, I'm not talking about money this morning. I'm talking about physically. Us. To restore this temple. Because this temple is what counts right now. And without this temple. I can't be a part of the church. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. Together. Together, we form the house. But separately, our bodies is a temple of the Holy Ghost. We need to make sure that this temple, that this foundation under this temple is straight. We need to make sure that there's no cracks. We need to make sure that it's not sinking on one side. We need to make sure that it's level. Because the house is only as strong as a foundation it's built on. And that's us. Our foundation is what's going to strengthen our home. This, our temple. Somebody say amen. amen. The temple was in a state of decay long before Joash began to rule on the throne. If it had not been for the poor decisions of Jehoshaphat when he allied with the house of Ahab in marriage, the priority of the house of God would have likely remained high. The theme of of unrighteous and moral decay is persuasive throughout scripture. The righteous men who were descendants of Seth were corrupted by women who were descendants of Cain. Genesis 4, 26 and uh, Genesis 6 and 2, you can find that there. Samson, 
whose name means day, was deceived by Delilah, whose name means night, and his last moments were spent humiliated with his eyes gouged out. Solomon, who built the temple, was given wisdom above any other man. He also fell into the trap of marrying unrighteous women. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. Paul made a direct reference to the persuasive thing of unequally yoked marriages in his second letter to the Corinthians. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness and unrighteousness, or with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. Some people get this misconstrued. Paul's talking about marriage. I've heard some people preach it as the church in the world. But I want us to, to understand that when it comes to the world, it's okay to talk to them. It's okay to fellowship with them. It's okay to, uh, to um, accept them. It's not up to us to change them. That's God's job. All we have to do is reach out and show them love and compassion. And show them God's grace and God's mercy. That's our job. The rest is up to God. And, and you know, it boils back down to repairing the temple. Because if we've got this temple set up, then what we have is going to show, what we've got on the inside is going to show on the outside. If this temple's all together, there won't be any questions when we go up and talk to somebody that don't go to church. Because the Bible does teach us that such were some of us. I wasn't a good boy. And look what God's done. And there are several others that have that same testimony. But because of God. Because of God. Willing to. Willing. To take a chance on a prospect. We need to make sure. That our temple. That our temple is straight up. And that way when we do go and talk to somebody, when we go do go and tell somebody about Jesus, or when we do go and offer somebody a Bible study, they latch on to it. Amen. I'm going to tell this story. I'm, I'm, I'm just going off here. Is that okay? Flying off the cuff. I've told this before, but I'm going to tell again because it fits. I started working at Anchor Packaging, and I would go into work, and, and, and God was just blessing, and, and, and I, was just, I would sing gospel songs all day. Just sing, just sing. And there was this young man in there. He wasn't young. He's a little bit older than I was. 
He walked up to me one day and he said, I hate you. And there was not a smile on his face when he'd done it. And I said, you do? And he goes, I hate you. Why don't you shut up? I said, I can't. He said, just shut up. I'm sick of listening to it. I said, okay. So the next day I came in, I was singing louder. Not because I was trying to get his gourd, but God showed me something was happening. This man was absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. So I just sang louder. And then I got this notion. I do get a little facetious sometimes. I got this notion that I started writing scripture on these post-it notes. And before he would come in, I would go in early and I would post these scriptures on his machine. And he'd come in and for about the first two weeks, he'd just rip them off and throw them in the trash and just stomp over to me. I hate you. And I said, but Jesus loves you. But then I, I, I began to realize something's happening here. And the only way that I'm going to be able to reach this guy is to make sure that I'm right. So I had to search my heart to make sure that what I was doing was right. To make sure that what I was doing wasn't out of retaliation for what he was saying to me. So I had to pray every day before I went into work. <laughs> and I started praying, God, give me a song that's going to touch his heart. And so I'd walk in and I'd start singing songs I forgot I knew. And one day he walked over to me and he said, why? I said, why what? Why, you have so, why are you happy all the time? What makes you tick, man? What makes you happier than everybody else? How come you can run around and sing and act like you ain't got a care in the world? I said, because I've got Jesus. What? I said, look, man. Why don't you let me come over and talk to you sometime outside of work? Just let me come over and talk to you. I don't know. I said, well, just let me. What's it going to hurt? Let me... Let me give you my testimony. Let me tell you what God's done for me. He said, I don't know. So a couple days went by. I'm sitting out at the break table outside. And he walks out. He says, so tell me. We're at work. So I told him. I was late getting back for, for a break. Because I talk a lot. Um, but I told him everything. And about a week later, I went up to him and I said, I'll tell you what, buddy. Let me give you a Bible study. I said, first of all, it's going to help you and it's going to help me. Because I'm not really sure how to do a Bible study. I said, I don't have a format. I don't have the search for truth thing. I don't have any regular Bible study. Let me just come over and let's go through the Bible together. He said, okay. I'm going to... I'm going to make a long story short. I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And I would give him questions and I would have him look them up in the Bible. And then the next week I would go to his house and we would sit down and we would discuss the questions. 
Uh, we did that for about two or three months. Then we kind of backed off. He kind of backed off and everything. About two years later, I went to my cousin's funeral over in Perryville. And this man walked up and he tapped me on the shoulder. And I turned around. He said, do you remember me, Brother March? And I said, I do. How are you? He said, I'm doing good. He said, I don't want to bother you because I know Andrew was your cousin. He said, but I need to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, I just want to say thank you. He said, I've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. It wasn't what I did. It's what God did. But if I had not had my temple straightened up, I would not have known to work him the way I did, to work with him the way I did. I'm going to close, church, but I'm going to close with this thought right here. I'm going to challenge you this morning if I can. Search your heart. You know, we pray, God, search me. Know my heart. I'm asking you this morning to search your heart, to check your foundation, to make sure that everything's in order. And if it's not, sacrifice some. It's okay. God has commissioned every one of us for this hour. There's not a one of us sitting in this church house this morning that is not here by chance. God has brought every one of us together. Why? Because every one of us is going to work together to win this city. Every one of us is going to work together to reach the lost. Every one of us is going to work together to fill these pews. And every one of us is going to work together to pray one for another for strength and for the edification of the church. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And together we can do awesome, awesome things together so I challenge you this morning I challenge you search search if you need somebody to help you pray ask because the Bible teaches us to pray one for another I'm not embarrassed to ask we, we gain strength from one another but check your foundation to make sure everything's in order. Amen. I guess it's on. It's that time. We're going to take a short break and then uh, come back into the house and uh, worship and praise and just have a good time in the Lord this morning. Amen. We're dismissed.